tell me something. You can go anywhere. Another timeline. Another universe. So why do you want to stay and fight to save this one? Because this is the world where my mom lives. I'm not going to lose her again. Time has a pattern that it can't help reliving. Different people, different worlds, drawn to each other like magnets. My face. So my face. If you were to go into the past, you have no idea what the consequences can be. Bruce, I could fix things. You could also destroy everything. This can't be happening. I completely broke the universe. Sorry. We've been waiting for you. I created a world with no metahumans. And now there's no one to defend us. Want some help? You're... you are... Yeah. I'm Batman. If I can't undo what I did... If I can't get back... There might not be a future. We try not to die. It's not Clark. My name is Kara. I'm well, Barry. We're Barry. Shama people, and welcome to our 197th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime and the man that I swear has probably been struck by lightning, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? Ah, uh, you know me. I can't complain. I live at the beach. It's actually a nice sunny day and it's getting warm out. So, you know, it's all good. Fantastic stuff. Well, look, as long as you're, you're keeping cool and, uh, you know, not overheating, that, that's the important thing. Stay hydrated. <laughs> and of course, joining us today are two great guest co-hosts. On one side, Mr. Charles Skaggs. Hey, Charles, how are you? And welcome back. Well, thank you very much for having me back, Nick. I'm always happy to be happiness, have my happiness and darkness. And it's great to be back. And I'm looking forward to talking this movie, which I have thoughts on <laughs> and I thoughts I need to express and uh, possibly kind of uh, look for some sort of, of consolation, perhaps some therapeutic so, response, some therapeutic yeah, resolve. I need some closure, I guess, regarding this movie. Then you've come, well, I would say you've come to the right place. We'll see how it goes. But, uh, and of course, on the other, Mr. Greg Vorob. Hey, Greg, how are you? And welcome back, sir. 
Hey guys, hey Keith, hey Charles, hey Nick, thank you for having me on this episode. You and I had been talking a while, I think from the very beginning, about me coming on to review a movie that I go in blind to. And what better movie than this? Uh, of course, Batman, you know, my favorite superhero makes an appearance, but also to just go in and see a movie that I basically know nothing of the universe. And uh, there's actually some, a plethora of sentimental reasons for me to be on this episode, but it all actually circles back to Devin Smith. And I'd like to dedicate my appearance uh, on HID to him tonight. Well, we definitely appreciate that. And indeed, of course, um, we still miss Devin Smith, folks. Of course, he was on the, the podcast quite a few times. He passed away recently and he's definitely still missed to this day. And we appreciate you uh, reminding us about that, Greg. And, uh, you know, long life wishes to his friends and family for sure. And speaking of friends and family, today we are discussing The Flash from 2023. This was directed by Andy Muschietti, who you probably know from the It movies. The story was by John Francis Daly, Jonathan Goldstein, and John and Joby Harold, while the screenplay was by Christina Hodson. The score was by Benjamin Wolfish, and the budget for this film was $220 million. The returns, of course, are too early to call, but so far we are up to $139 million. And uh, as of this recording, of course, June 20th, it's too close to call, I say, because the film has only been out and available to the general public for four days. The premiere, of course, taking place at the Grauman's Chinese Theatre on June 12th. So let's get to general impressions then. Charles, starting with you, what did you make of this movie? Uh, well, first, I need to probably set the table a little bit just to let everybody know right off the bat. I am a longtime diehard fan of The Flash. I have been reading Flash comics and buying Flash comics since I was seven years old. And so that's many, many decades. And this is a movie that I have been waiting, maybe not for this movie, particular movie, but I've been waiting for a Flash movie, a Flash movie on the big screen ever since. And this is something that, you know, there I've been heartbroken over time and time again, because this the Flash has gone through so many different iterations with so many different screenwriters, directors, cast, and ultimately, this is the movie that actually made it to the screen. So, and uh, interestingly, it was released in wide and wide release on my birthday, on my fifty fourth birthday. So, I feel a little bit of connection to this movie. This is one of the reasons why I um, we reached out to you and said. Hey, if you know if you're talking to Flash, please let me be a part of it if you, if possible, because uh, this is something that's very near and dear to my heart. And uh, after seeing the movie, I definitely, like I said, have some thoughts. And uh, just to kind of put things in a general perspective, probably the way I could probably sum up this movie, I think, is that it's a decent movie but it's a movie that should have been better than it was. And for reasons I'll get into when we start breaking down topics, but there are things that in general um, that I have a problem with primarily, of course, is the, was the horrible creative decision to keep Ezra Miller in the leading role. And, um, and then after his numerous legal issues, which, Hey, go on Wikipedia. If you want to, 
a whole big list of that. We could be here for the next half an hour just discussing all those various legal issues. But even after all that, that Warner Brothers still went ahead and thought that, well, maybe we can't release that Batgirl movie, but we can release this movie. And unfortunately, I think if you if you've following the box office this past weekend, you probably see that uh, maybe that wasn't the best move they could have done. And so um, there are things that I wish we would have gotten differently. Um, Primarily the fact that, well, Ezra Miller being the most annoying member of the Justice League film and to have him appear in this movie, not once, but twice as both his present day and his 2013 self, which is even more annoying than the present day self, just made me roll my eyes and uh, wonder what the hell Christina Hodson was doing writing this kind of a script for this film that uh, Andy Muschietti, um, for some reason, you know, just that um, there weren't that there were there weren't more creative changes than that the, there should have been. And uh, I know I'm going to, I'm getting a bit of a rambling on this, but um, ultimately it gets into like a, you know, a very messy third act that I also have a problem with. So there are things that I like. Um, I really enjoy Michael Keaton's Batman seeing him again. I really would have liked to have seen more of Sasha Khalil's uh, Supergirl would have liked to have seen more of her. Um, unfortunately, I think she was also underserved by the script and, um, but, uh, but by and large, it's a movie that, um, is essentially like the, the, the janitor service for the Snyderverse that, that it's essentially taking these last remaining fragments, trying to sweep everything under the rug so that we can start fresh, hopefully in 2024, with uh with james gunn's uh relaunched dc films so here's hoping but uh but unfortunately this is just a little bit of uh just kind of tidying up and uh just like i said wish it would have been something a little better than what we got and it's interesting you mentioned the whole janitorial thing because that's what the flash refers to himself as at the top of the movie so i see what you did there sir very well played and uh, greg what did you make of this movie You know, this circles to why I was welcomed on this episode. I went into this completely blind. I am a very casual comic character fan with Batman and Superman being who I grew up with, Wonder Woman 2, of course. It was the DC characters that I grew up with, that my father was a fan of, that I was introduced to. And my history with comic books are different, but my history with movies where I saw every DC character movie, I just Marvel just never did anything for me. And I saw that up to Man of Steel. And once I saw Man of Steel, I was turned off by the DCEU. I just didn't enjoy it. I just didn't like it. I just didn't like the vision here. So I stopped and I did not see to this recording time, Batman versus Superman, uh, uh, Justice League, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, none of that. So I was very interested in seeing how I would feel about this movie going in blind. I also had the lowest expectations you could possibly have. 
Uh, I was excited, of course, about seeing Michael Keaton come back as Batman. Um, but yes, not only were my expectations super low and I didn't know what I was getting into, but I knew very little about Ezra Miller's legal problems. So now that you all know that, but I also know that how people feel about the character of the flesh. And I also knew for whatever reason, there was controversy to this movie and there was also controversy to Ezra Miller, even though I didn't know the extent of it. So that all being said, I went in to watch this movie and was thoroughly entertained. It just brought me joy. I thought it was funny. Knowing nothing of Ezra, but even though I do, let me separate the artist from the art. I, I was familiar with his work in Trainwreck, and I was familiar with his work in Fantastic Beasts, knew nothing of the controversy, but I found him funny, entertaining. I knew I was getting a vision of the Flash that was not the comic books. I mean, I knew I was getting something that was... But again, I went in and said, introduce me to all these characters as if I didn't know them. And one of the things I really love about DC is all the different incarnations of the worlds. And there was things about this movie that resonated for me with all those different visions. And I'm uh, sure we'll get into it later. But overall, because I guess I knew nothing, really, The Flash was one of the characters in DC I knew probably the least about. I even knew more about Aquaman. I think. Flash, no. Uh, so I went into this, was very entertained, thought it was fun. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself while watching this, because it's dark and funny at the same time, that I was back in the glory days of the fun superhero movies before they became so dark. So whatever you think of, of my impression there, that's what I got, a fun and entertaining popcorn flick. And the, the compadres that I was with who are familiar with the DCEU and MCU also found it entertaining. They put the Ezra Miller stuff aside and they also found it entertaining. So that's where I'm at with it. Well, then I think this will make for a very balanced podcast indeed, seeing, you know, Charles's initial thoughts and yours, Greg. So I guess we'll see what our, our tiebreaker thinks of this. Keith, are you more in Charles's ballpark or in, in Greg's when it comes to your general thoughts on this film? Oh, I'm 100% in the Charles camp. Um, I'm a fan of the comic book. I'm a fan of the animated story. I'm a, they've done many iterations of this story. So when we finally get to the live action Flashpoint, I'm not going to say there's a lot of expectations, but there were a couple going in because there was a president's set for this story. So I'm like, okay, how bad could this be? And I knew everything about Miller, all his drama, all his backstory. I did not like him as the original Flash. He has, and I'm going to use air quote kids, matured because it's now, you know, X number of years later. So his character has improved ever so slightly. And I just think they upped his Ritalin dose or something because he's a little more grounded in this one. But otherwise, I am not a fan of him. Um, I've seen him in Fantastic Beasts. He plays the exact same character, except instead of being like, awkwardly chatty he's awkwardly silent so it's just the flip side of the same coin um, in terms of you know the reminiscent to see michael keaton as batman again that was awesome the fact that they cut out or left out many other iterations of these characters just to focus on this really weak core story it started off very good until the special effects kicked in. And then I just checked out of the entire movie because the special effects 
just killed me. And, you know, I'm watching Scooby-Doo at some point because that was a level of special effects that they had in this movie. And it, it definitely took away from the story. And I, I've read many stories on the internet that the director was going for that because that's Miller's Flash's character's interpretation of the world around him. But I'm going to call bullshit, pardon the adult language kids, because if anybody's ever watched like Project Earth or anything with high speed film, the characters are still the same. They're just ridiculously slowed down. You know, you're shooting at, what is it, 1200 frames a second or whatever the case may be. So you can still figure out what you're looking at, where in the flash, I'm sitting here going, am I looking at Scooby-Doo? Like, what is this dog and these weird CGI babies from like 2001 going on here? You know, most of the jokes landed very well. I will give them that in general, the writing, but I'm with Charles. The third act definitely kind of left me scratching my head because the story almost beat for beat starts out very much like the Flashpoint story and then just makes a left turn into what the hellville and just never comes back. It, it certainly does. I mean, I was actually uh, mentioning to Greg about this because, you know, him and I had actually talked about this on Messenger, the, the fact of uh, that it was very, very, very loosely based on on the Flashpoint uh, comic book story. And I suppose, I, I guess kind of like, uh, like Greg also, I did go into this movie with super low expectations, knowing what I knew also about Ezra Miller, but I also taking into account a lot of the things that this movie had going against it. So it almost seemed like it was destined to fail, if you will, because one, you have the DCEU coming to an end and everybody's waiting for the new new uh, iteration to show up. So maybe folks have lost interest in this in this particular version of the, of the uh, universe, which also probably would cause, should we say, returns to be low. Secondly, you have the once the... Um, the concept of the multiverse, which I think might be the next in line to superhero fatigue is multiverse fatigue, because it's becoming so omnipresent in film that I, I wonder whether folks might start getting turned off by it. The MCU is doing it. The, this movie did it. Even in, in, Oscar, in the world of Oscars, um, everything, everywhere, all at once, multiverse. And I even recall the directors of that movie saying, we were really worried once this movie came out because that was when the multiverse was starting to be part of the cultural zeitgeist. So it's like folks might hold it against us that we're just repeating a trope that is now so popular. So it had it had this going against it as well. So there were a lot going against this movie for so many reasons. That's why when I sat down with my uh, theater group of people to watch this, I was not expecting anything particularly good. And I think maybe having kept my expectations so low, there were moments I actually did enjoy this movie. Uh, it got a lot of laughs from uh, from the audience that I was with, and I found myself chuckling a few times. I, th But I suppose also at the same time, I was not expecting such a comical Flash in the sense of, like uh, Charles and Keith, I'm a huge fan of the Flash from the comics. And I get changing things when it comes to the, you know, gender or race or what have you, but not the core essence of a character. And that's what they did here. And, and that's why I would constantly say, I said to myself, this is not my Barry Allen. This has got nothing to do with, with that character. It's just a completely different version. And that did throw me off at times. And also from the get-go, as soon as this movie starts, you know it's going to be comedic because when we start to get the title of The Flash showing up and we get that moment with the girls screaming and saying how much they love him, I was like, okay, I know how this movie is going to be. It's going to be one laugh after another. There were some serious moments, which I think Muschietti balanced decently well, but there were moments also where I was kind of rolling my eyes, kind of like Keith thinking, 
yeah, some of this stuff is just way too comedic, in, in my opinion. So there were things I liked, but there were also quite a few things that I was not particularly fond of. So I guess let's get to our characters on the board, starting by looking at our Scarlet Speedster and the 2013 version of himself. Of course, we have the aforementioned Ezra Miller as Barry Allen the Flash from 2023 and Barry Allen the Flash from 2013. So, Greg, starting with you, what did you make of our two Flashes? Well, again, if I'm going to look, you know, again, I can't emphasize enough. I understand. I understand. It's I'm, I'm sure I, I can think of characters that I love that were said, this is not my, you know, such and such and so and so. I get that. But if I were to just be the viewer that I was, uh, and again, as I listen to you guys, I love it because that's why I'm here. Um, the layman, if you will. And as the layman, I, what I love about this is, you know, we all have our surus, we all have our stuff. And we looked at the two incarnations of Barry Allen on the Barry Allen that went through the trauma and the Barry Allen that didn't. And the Barry Allen that didn't had no, and, I, and I'm talking in the, in the film, he was just a clueless kid who didn't have that all important subtext behind his eyes, which I felt uh, Andy, the director and, and uh, Ezra probably thought of. Um, he was, he was, you know, that, that very different character kind of reminded me of uh, Ted from, from Bill and Ted. Um, and I, I really appreciated and liked that, especially as someone who loves time conundrum stories and this thought of what if this didn't happen in my life and I could have gone back and changed it. It's something I think a lot of people have fantasized about and thought about. And I loved that. I loved that story element of these two guys, one who went through this trauma and became the flash, the other who didn't and became the flash. Of course he didn't become evil, because in other stories, I know that it's, you know, these, it's like a mirror universe and one is evil, one isn't. I mean, we'll get to that, you know, but in the case of these two Barrys, I really appreciated it. And it gave me the feels at the same time about the two things. And uh, one had that very childlike persona. The other had been through some shit. And I just kind of felt like the director and Ezra Miller, as well as the writer, really conveyed that very well. And I appreciated it very much. I did. Yeah. Great stuff. And uh, Keith, what did you make of these two flashes? I have to agree with a lot of what Greg said. You know, it's very much a product of their times or their life experiences at that point. You know, adult a flash we'll call him for a lack of a better term is definitely he's seen some stuff he's going through the whole dark side wars and all the you know fixing the time stream because you know the, the universe collapsed on itself so he has seen some stuff and he's dealt with that trauma especially the loss of his mom and trying to find the killer of his dad which shocker we never actually find out for some dumb reason um dealing with all of that trauma has made him the person that he is well when you have younger Flash, he is none of that. He is, and I'm 
going to get a lot of crap for this, but he's a stereotypical millennial kind of kid, completely oblivious to the world, like comes home and has his mom and dad do his laundry, you know, ask for 20 bucks, his parents give it to him. He's very much completely oblivious to the world. And he, I will give Miller credit. He does play those characters very well. But when you see them on screen, the special effects kind of distract you from that because you can always tell one of them is CGI. And depending on the scene, depends on which one is CGI'd. So I think some of the, like I said, the choices they made kind of hurt the movie a little bit. I liked the fact that, you know, how the they portrayed him, because again, why go with the original story? The younger him does some really dumb stuff, and that's how we get to where we are. And it's interesting to see how like we kind of catch up with that, those bad decisions eventually. And it's, it is what it is. We can't change it basically. <laughs> Could they have done better? A hundred percent. Like you were saying your flash, my flash is from the justice league cartoons. Um, the way they had him, he was more of an upbeat, the heart of the team and always trying to, you know, do good and kind of be the voice of reason opposed to this flash, not my flash. Well, it seems like there's another 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 chap who doesn't sort of see his flash in this one. And Mr. Skaggs, your thoughts on uh, on these two Barry Allens? Yeah, if you probably apparently sum up this panel with hashtag not my flash, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. <So, laughs> or at least three fourths of this panel, right? Yeah. Perhaps. So, um, so Christina Hudson in this script. She she goes with this premise with having the present day Barry Allen, the 2023 Barry Allen, paired up with his 2013 self. And primarily that's just to kind of show a little bit of contrast, possibly to show how much Barry has grown as a person since he was his 2013 self. But um and for the most part, that kind of succeeds because at one point you do get to see 2023 Barry, you know, getting annoyed with his younger self saying, look, you know, all the, all this stuff that all the shit that everybody tells me that, you know, that people find annoying about me. Now I kind of sort of get it. But even through all that, it's, it just becomes so much, um, so overwhelming. The, the juxtaposition of these two characters against each other, great in concept, but when you're having just double Ezra Miller, and if you're somebody like me who, you know, is just completely disgusted to have him still in this role, it's very frustrating. Now I get, I get there, you know, if you, if you're able to set that aside, you know, more power to you because, um, you know, it'd be great to just go ahead and like forget about all the reality and just embrace the fantasy, go into there. And I get where Greg's coming from. Like, hey, you know, he's, you know, he's having fun with the role. You know, he's, he's doing great comedy. I get that. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with people that enjoy Ezra Miller's performance. But for me personally, um, I know too much. And it's kind of soured me on his performance. And, you know, it, it, it went into just to see not one, but two of them playing off each other. 
um, it just gets so frustrating. So, um, you know, the present day Barry, he's, he's maybe, you know, matured a little bit, but he's still basically not too far removed from when we saw him in justice league. We get this little extended sequence, you know, this, this is essentially the, you know, the flash version of, of the quicksilver slow-mo move, you know, motion scene, slow motion scenes from, you know, X-Men first class or, or, um, you know, days of future present, that kind of thing. But, you know, we get all these babies being scattered around like ping pong balls and slow-mo. One of them, the flash is shown stuffing a baby into a microwave. Nobody had a problem with this. This being on the screen. Apparently not. And I'm just, I'm rolling my eyes. There's this obviously CGI dog that Keith was talking about that just looks ridiculously cartoonish. And no, I don't buy any Andy Muschietti's um, explanation that, oh, this is, you know, the CGI was bad because, hey, it's from Barry's point of view. No, that's a bit of a cop out. And, you know, you're, you're, and the problem is, is like, well, you have to take things from the audience's point of view, not Barry's point of view. And if you're trying to depict it from Barry's point of view as a, as a way to try to explain it, explain it and pass it off, it doesn't, it doesn't hold water as far as I'm concerned. So you get this ridiculously extended sequence. Um, Barry comes out of it. He decides, well, you know, I'm getting frustrated because my dad, there's no evidence to get him freed from prison. So I'm going to mope around for a bit. I'm going to go back to my childhood home, have these bad memories. And then, you know, this is where we kind of get a little bit of, you know, Barry being a little bit more of a sympathetic character. We know his mom's been murdered. We kind of see, you know, some horrible events where his father is ultimately framed for this. And again, to Keith's point, this is one of my major sticking points of this film that I have an issue with. There is no depiction of who killed Nora Allen whatsoever. There's no hint. There's no tease of the reverse flash who is presumably the murderer because that was the murderer in flashpoint. That's what Jeff Johns, his flashpoint comic book storyline. That's what outlined. That's what started the whole you know, premise is that the reverse flash goes back, alters history himself by killing Nora Allen to set Barry Allen on a different path, on a different timeline. And there's none of that here. So, so Barry, you know, instead of asking all these questions of like, well, hey, how do I get my dad out of jail? There is no questioning from him, no obsession of who killed my mom which I would think be, would be right up there at the same time as how do I get my dad out of jail? If nothing else, hey, maybe if I find my mom's killer, that would get my dad out of jail. But that's not even addressed in this film whatsoever. So I'm just cringing at the script, you know, these plot holes. And, um, you know, we, we do get to kind of see, you know, especially when we get to the bat cave when we get to wayne manor after they encounter bruce um you know these two berries these two incarnations kind of find a little bit of a footing um through various circumstances we see that you know that 
the present day Barry, he lost his powers because of trying to give his younger self the powers that in this altered timeline he never received. And in the process, he loses that. So, so he's grounded, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's left powerless. He's what he, what he calls slow now. And so in a way he kind of connects, but then can only watch in a little bit of um, a little bit of regret as his younger self now discovering his powers now has everything that he doesn't have. And so the, you know, the balance between these two characters kind of shifts a bit. Um, and then you get this, this very important moment where you have the 2013 Barry, he overhears his older self talking to Bruce Wayne about, you know, that his mom has been killed, something that knowledge that, you know, the older Barry has kept from his younger self. And because of that, it starts a little bit of a chain of events where, and you know, I'm sure we're going to get into that when we start talking about the dark flash that essentially starts this little domino effect where the younger flash, because he's less experienced, you know, younger, less immature, um, decides, well, he can save everything. You know, he can save, you know, the Batman 89 from dying. He can save Supergirl from dying. And more importantly, he can still find a way to save his mom, keep his dad out of jail. And it, it becomes this kind of consuming obsession that ultimately corrupts the character only to when in the third act, and this is where things get really kind of muddled, um, he kind of creates this own paradox where he, the younger Barry sacrifices himself to take the Dark Flash off the board essentially negating that whole thing and the present day Barry apparently only exists now in a paradox of time after that point. So good luck keeping track of that. If you're somebody who's not like a big doctor who geek, like yours truly or Nick and, uh, or somebody that's, you know, well-versed in movies like back to the future, which thankfully does get a lot of love in this movie. And, uh, you just kind of have to hope for the best and, you know, where we are, we ultimately end with Barry. Um, he's, you know, perhaps he's learned a little bit from the experience, but apparently not much because even after being told initially by Bruce, Hey, don't alter the timeline. He goes and alters the timeline, creates the whole flashpoint storyline, then goes back, works to reverse everything by having his mom killed again, then proceeds to ignore the lesson he just learned and alters time again so that there's evidence so that his father gets out of jail and now Batman is George Clooney. Okay? If you say so. I mean, when you say it that way, it sounds really convoluted, but it makes so much more sense during the movie. (laughs) Said no one ever. Exactly. But no, I mean, I love the fact that yeah, Batman is George Clooney. I'm sure we'll definitely touch up on that uh, later down the review. I, as I mentioned before, you know, as I said, this isn't my flash. And yes, when we did review Justice League way back when, I remember that a, not a lot of love was given to this particular character, and understandably so. Here, I think what they were trying to also do was maybe the whole concept of mentor-mentee relationship as well, because at the top of the movie, we kind of see that it seems like Barry is kind of mentoring under Batman. 
And he kind of complains that he's like the butt of all the jokes and he has to clean up everybody else's mess. And so he's kind of seen as almost as lesser than. And he's kind of seen like, you know, I guess the uh, <clears throat> the new guy in inverted commas who's being who's being um, trained by Batman, i.e. Uh, the Ben Affleck Batman. And he goes through this himself with the 2013 version where he becomes the mentor and the 2013 version is the, is the mentee. And yeah, like to your point, Charles, I think he sees why maybe even Batman himself and the rest of the Justice Leaguers are kind, are kind of find him a little bit annoying. He's like, oh, now I see why. And so hopefully it opens his eyes a little bit about that. And he's trying, I think, to mentor his younger self on things and, uh, and just try, try to make him a better person. And of course, there's that whole traumatic thing where he lashes out at his younger self. Is like you had your mother for the for for all you know the rest of your life, while I lost mine when I was just a kid. And so there is that kind of anger and frustration about not, and almost like you don't appreciate the fact that your mom is still alive while mine died. And and so of course, I guess that that somewhat does you know teach a couple of lessons to the 2013 version of, of Barry, who I agree, I found incredibly annoying. There were some of the jokes where I was like, oh, come on, man, really? He's like surfer dude here. I'm not enjoying this at all. But I think that was that was also the... the um, and that laugh, right? Oh, God, don't get me started on that. That was that was terrible. Yes, it's a, it was a really annoying one, too. But I, I do think that, um, that that was sort of the main thing. And also, yeah, the concept of... Um, the 2013 uh, version of Barry taking the lesson too far of I can now save everybody. Nobody has to die. And so, of course, we see, you know, Batman and, and Supergirl being resurrected multiple times only for it to constantly fail and drive, you know, uh, Barry Allen to, to 2013 Barry to frustration to where he literally goes down a completely different path. Granted, as I mentioned before, this is not my flash, but I did like that concept. Yes, I'm also infuriated about the fact that we never got any hint about who uh, um, Barry's mother's killer was. Not, uh, no, nothing, not even like a hint, even seeing like, you know, yellow lightning flash by or something like that. Nothing at all, which was, I was like, come on, man. Okay, we don't have to necessarily have the reverse flash, but give us an idea about that. Maybe Muschietti just wanted to keep it a mystery or he thought to himself, folks probably know, so I don't have to show them. So <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. But other than that, yeah, I, um, I think that was mainly the thing, was literally a contrast between old and young and also poses the question of if you could go back and tell your younger self things that you know now, would you do it and would it make things different? And also maybe introduces the fact that there are just certain things in life that we cannot change and that no matter what, you know, you always get the same result. Kind of like, I suppose, the thing of the Terminator movies with Skynet. No matter what you do, the machines will always rise eventually. So um, I appreciated that. And yes, even though I'm not the biggest Back to the Future fan, I did find those moments kind of funny. And also Barry's roommates, I thought, were uh, quite, a, quite an entertaining addition to this movie. So those are my thoughts on, on our two Barrys. Greg, I believe you had yeah. something to say when it came to the baby scene. I do have something to say about the babies. I will say that, you know, I kind of accepted that the killer was going to remain the legit MacGuffin of this movie. You want to know what a MacGuffin is? That's the MacGuffin, the killer. Now, that being said, yes, the babies were within the first 10 minutes. I did not know whether or not to be entertained. The, my buddy sitting next to me was hysterical, and I took it as what the hell am I looking at type of hysterical. And at that point... I thought I was going to hate the movie. I mean, I was not liking that sequence at all. And then putting it in the microwave, I'm like, what the hell am I looking at here? Once that sequence was over and it proceeded from there, I go back to my general impressions. 
But yes, I'm glad I was reminded of that baby sequence. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. And I don't even think it should have been in. And then, spoiler alert, in the after credits, when they made reference to it again, it's like, screw you. That wasn't a good sequence. Are you trying to throw it in our face and make us enjoy it? Because you're not going to do that. So I will say that about the baby sequence. Well, thank you for, for giving us your two cents on that. And uh, uh, Charles or Keith, anything else you guys wanted to add when it came to uh, this particular segment of the, of the review? Uh, uh, oh, there's so, so many things, but I think Greg kind of summed it up and Charles and everybody. So, yeah. Yeah, Charles. I probably rambled on enough about it. So, uh, you know, <laughs> okay. probably should move on. For the sake okay. of you hit all the notes. Otherwise, I could, be, I could just be here all night just going, what are you thinking? I totally could do the same thing, rant on about Yeah, exactly. You're mentally shaking Muschietti by the shoulders, saying, what the hell are you thinking, man? But uh, fair enough. So I guess moving on then, let's look at the folks who accompany our two Flashes on their journey through alternate timelines. We have Mr. Ben Affleck reprising his role as the DCEU Bruce Wayne Batman. And yes, Michael Keaton returning to the Cape and Cowl, playing Batman from an alternate universe. And if that was not enough, we have Sasha Kaye as Kara Zorel, Supergirl from the alternate universe. So Keith, starting with you, what did you make of our two Batman and our Kryptonian? Well, beside that whole opening sequence with Affleck getting just ping-ponged around traffic and he should have been dead, but that's a whole different issue. Uh, I think he did a pretty good job. Like everybody's mentioned, he was the mentor to Barry. So he was trying to be the voice of reason, especially because he was there when the first time he went back in time. So he, the cause and the effect, and he understands that. So him trying to be the mentor or father figure to Barry because Barry hasn't had a a father through most of his life. I appreciated that because there was no Robin or any other sidekick character for Batman to mentor because reasons. So I I like that. Well, if we everybody seen the other movie, we know Robin got killed and we're not going to talk about that. So he has learned his lesson in terms of, you know, mentoring a younger individual. So he's trying to bestow that upon older Barry. And, you know, hey, don't do that. You know, no good can come of this kind of scenario. And then you cut to Barry traveling back in time and alternate, you know, the whole blah, blah, blah paradox. And you now have Michael Keaton Batman, which was interesting. His, his wardrobe choices, I couldn't get past the whole handkerchief thing. I'm like, why is he wearing one in every single scene? I feel like that might have been a nod to Val Kilmer's character just because Val Kilmer obviously because of his medical conditions he couldn't necessarily be in this movie so i feel like that's my 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 rationale behind his weird costume choices what i did not appreciate was the fact that they just were like oh well i retired batman would never retire batman would try to clean up everything it's not just like once he gets gotham straightened out he would you know expand to other areas so i felt like that was very much a hand wavy cop out kind of scenario where they're just like well, we need to give him a reason why he's not Batman anymore. Oh, I retired. Like, we all have seen Dark Knight Rises. We've read the stories. We've read that. He literally, you know, worked himself to death being Batman. So the fact that he's like, I retired would never actually happen. And then the whole weird drunken master kind of Jackie Chan fighting thing going on in the kitchen. While I found amusing, I was very confused at the same time because the two Barrys just walked into his house. The dude who is super paranoid, prepared for everything, left his front door unlocked. 
never going to happen. Not in a million years. He has too many enemies in this world. So that was kind of a cheesy whateverness. I did appreciate the Bat Cave, the fact that they tried to reproduce it as best as possible, and they did also update it and modernize it a little. So it didn't look like it was still the Batcave from 1989. It was like you see some newer technologies in mixed in with all the classic stuff. That being said, the CGI Batman, which was cool to watch and see him kick ass just like, you know, the Christian Bale and all the others. So at least they kind of lined up the fighting style better because as we all know, Michael Keaton from 1989 really didn't do a lot of fighting in any of his Batman iterations. So the fact that they expanded upon that i did appreciate that him on screen his character on screen definitely was more of a focal point for me regardless of whatever the hell else was going on once batman walked on screen you're just like there's batman shut up barry you're stupid and you know let the adults talk and even you know his character was trying to be the voice of reason with the two barrys and it just it seemed to fall on deaf ears to a certain extent but at the same time he did help mold him a little bit more older Barry. Younger Barry was just a lost cause. So you could see it working on one of them and not necessarily applying to the other. It was very much like talking to a wall, or as I like to call it, half my coworkers at Best Buy. You just you're talking at them, not to them. So and then even the lessons he learned with interactions in the third act where you know Barry sees him die and realizes I can't save him. And he comes to the realization where younger Barry never comes to that realization. So it was interesting, the impact that both Bruce's played on Barry, the variant Bruce and the prime Bruce, we'll call it for lack of a better term. So I liked how they each played their characters. They were fairly well-written. I did not go in expecting a lot from Ben Affleck and he he delivered just enough. And, And what did you make of Supergirl? Were you happy with what we got with her? I was actually pleasantly surprised. That reminded me of um, the Red Sun story where, you know, Superman crashes in Russia. I was like, I was losing my shit. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. My girlfriend's like, what is your problem? I'm like, he's in Russia. She's like, so? I'm like, oh. And then, you know, just locked in a cell, which they literally took from the Flashpoint story. And I was like, okay, fine. I like this. And then breaking her out. Okay, fine. This is great. And then they just, that was the point. They just stopped trying. Even when they got gave Barry, older Barry, back his powers, that's from the story, the animated, the comic book, the whole relatively shot for shot. I did appreciate her helping because he saved her, she saves him. So I, I appreciated that, you know, her repaying the favor, for lack of a better term. I, I liked her. I actually, I, I just read online that there she's possibly in talks to getting her own movie, which I would watch. I, I think she played a very good Supergirl, and I think they could do a lot with her. I think so too, you know, because, you know, coming from soap operas and stuff and now being thrown into this, I think Sasha did a, did a fabulous job. So uh, I was, I was supposed to be happy with her too, for sure. And Charles, your thoughts on our two Dark Knights and our Supergirl? Well, um, first, I might as well talk about Batfleck first, I guess, that, that uh, you know, the Ben Affleck, Bruce, you know, we, we kind of see him at the beginning Again, he's, as, you know, Keith has mentioned that, you know, he's very much the mentor to Barry and he's a mentor that but unfortunately only goes so far. Like there's this one part where Barry asks 
Bruce, hey, you want to hang out? And Bruce kind of like, for lack of a better term, you know, just like checks his watch and goes like, well, you know, I got, I got crime to fight. I got to go. But, um, but thanks for the offer. I'll, we'll, we'll do that sometime. I don't know when, you know, provided I don't get erased from Canon at this point, you know, we'll, do, we'll do that. We'll do lunch. Trust me. And he drives off. But, um, the true highlight obviously is going to be Michael Keaton as Batman. I'm a huge like a, you know, a lot of people my generation, Gen Xers, huge fan of Michael Keaton's Batman. Um, you know, something that that I've I've grown up with for, you know, you know, been you know, watched over and over and over again, like a lot of people. And so this was a major selling point. And I think that was one of the the reasons behind the decision to bring Michael Keaton back because because of all the problems with Ezra Miller trying to get people in those seats in the theater, like, you know, you've got a star who's pretty unlikable. If you're at all familiar with him, know what is up to. So how do we make this movie more marketable? Well, we try not to focus everything on Ezra Miller. We try to, you know, shift the focus. Hey, Batman sells because, Hey, that's our big cash cow here at Warner brothers. So let's bring in Batman so that, you know, we get Ben Affleck's brought in, um, you know, sadly we don't get anything from Val Kilmer for obvious reasons because of his health issues. Um, but Michael Keaton, he was willing. We know that, you know, he's always talked about like wanting to return the role to the role over the, over the decades somehow. And here they found a vehicle where they could do that bringing him in as this alternate reality Bruce Wayne, this Flashpoint Batman. Although his Flashpoint Batman is very different from the comic book storyline, because if you're all familiar with the comics source material, you know that that Flashpoint Batman in the comics was Thomas Wayne, the father of Bruce Wayne, who essentially survives that night, that dark night in Crime Alley, instead of his son, Bruce in this alternate reality. And you see, you know, how, you know, that tragedy made Thomas Wayne, Batman, and then to have him paired in that storyline against Barry Allen versus Keaton's Batman, which is obviously a much different Batman. It's uh, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia obviously with Keaton's Batman. So, you know, like when we first walk into Wayne Manor and we, we walk through the armory you know, where you could picture Robert Wool going, you know, king of the wicker people and, you know, great lines like that, 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 that obviously really trigger things. You know, we go in back into the kitchen, you know, where, you know, Bruce and Vicky had that nice little sit down with Alfred in the 1989 Batman film. Keaton's, you know, Bruce's, you know, we're, we're told is this, you know, kind of reclusive hermit, you know, he's got very long hair, a long beard. And, uh, you know, points to Keith for pointing out that he has a very drunken um, martial arts style up in there that he's adopted. Very observant. And, um, but interestingly, at some point between, you know, his adventures at Batman and retiring, Bruce somehow became an expert on time travel theory. That somehow... He is able to not only try to, you know, explain 
cause and effect theory, which is essentially the back to the future premise of like, hey, you change one thing and it creates a different timeline. But he goes into this whole other time travel theory. Well, here's this spaghetti monster theory where <laughs> the giant spaghetti monster where essentially, and this is this, you know, with a time travel movie like this, you have to establish the rules. When this version, the, the giant spaghetti monster theory of time is time is like a big plate of spaghetti. And even, you know, no matter where you time travel back to, it will alter time in all directions, not just from that point on forward, cause and effect, but somehow it does it retroactively so that we can say, oh, Dick Stone get, didn't become cyborg and Aquaman wasn't born. And, oh, you know, there's no Wonder Woman. So regardless of how much sense it makes, because, hey, cause and effect, that's how time works. We're very linear. So as it, you know, it's time travel, you know, you kind of have to do a hand wave because, well, obviously it's fiction. There's no, as far as we know, no reality when it comes to time travel. So you can make up how do time travel, however you want. I get that. But when you're bringing up films like back to the future, it just kind of makes the whole concept of retroactive time travel uh, or cause and effect retroactively. Um, a little crazy and to have Bruce Wayne of all people telling you, Hey, you shouldn't time travel because reason that it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And it just felt like Bruce had to be this expository character to try to explain time travel to the audience, regardless of how much sense it made. And so that was a little bit of a problem, but obviously, you know, once he suited up as Batman you get all the nostalgia brought back. You hear, you know, little hints of his, you know, the Danny Elfman theme music. And um, it's great to see Michael Keaton, who, you know, the time this movie was released is 71 years old, back in this role after so, so long. Um, and still able to kind of carry off the character. He doesn't feel like he's really lost a step as far as, you know, Bruce's personality maybe because it's so interwoven with his Michael Keaton's own personality, but, but it comes off very fluid for me. You know, it doesn't feel like he was struggling to try to recapture the character at all. And it's just because obviously his age and the, you know, requiring various stunts, you had stunt men, you had CGI used to kind of make up for the fact that, well, you know, we've got a 71 year old playing Batman now. And can't really do those fight scenes like he should. Certainly not like Affleck could, right? So um, I really enjoy that. I mean, it's a bit, it was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a heartbreaking moment when you see, you know, Keaton's Batman being killed and you're wondering, okay, well, are they going to let this stick because, hey, time travel is in play or, you know, or what? That was a little, you know, disconcerting at first. We still don't really know if, you know, because of everything time being reset, whether Keaton's Batman still is alive somewhere, perhaps in some other timeline. That's not really addressed. We don't really, because of, of Keaton's Batman being replaced by George Clooney, we don't really get to 
get a get an idea of like, well, what happened to that Bruce? Does he not exist anymore? Did he ever exist? Or you know what or or what? So that was a little um, little problematic for me personally, but not a deal breaker. Another big highlight, thankfully, was Sasha as Supergirl, who, like I said, I thought has a lot of potential. And it was great to see Superman Red Sun kind of being briefly acknowledged, you know, without going deeply into the storyline that, you know, she, that this version in this timeline, Supergirl ended up, you know, being taken to Siberia instead, you know, crash landing anywhere in the United States, being found by Superman, who obviously doesn't exist now in this altered timeline. And Nick, you and I were talking before this movie came out about how Sasha's Supergirl would probably be a substitution for the Flashpoint Superman in the comic book storyline, where you know you have this Superman who is captured by the government, kept in darkness, and uh, as a way to kind of keep him weak and powerless by keeping him from the sun. And that's something that they incorporated here um, from the comic source material doing this with Supergirl. The moment she gets you know, into the sun, she regains her powers. She gets her super suit on. She looks great. And um, very much you could kind of see that, you know, that it's very interesting because this is the first raven haired Supergirl that we've seen on screen. You know, this is certainly a different, definitely a departure from Helen Slater's Supergirl, who we see later in the East, one of the Easter egg moments. But, um, but you can kind of, you know, it's very different, probably a little jarring to Supergirl fans a little bit, but, you know, she still feels, I think that she comes off like she could be a cousin to Henry Cavill's Superman, I think in a lot of ways. And obviously with her costume design, I think that was the intent because, you know, having her tied in with General Zod and, you know, working with, you know, those story elements, it made sense to kind of make her kind of be like a, you know, um, a Man of Steel replacement here in this kind of, in this storyline. And I would like to, you know, obviously we don't know where the character ends up. There was original plans for her to appear with Batman in the final closing scenes. But that was changed. That ending was changed to do the, you know, the Clooney gag. So we don't really know what happened to Supergirl after Barry went back, altered time to try to correct things and then altered time again to help free his father. So her fate is unknown. We'll see if Sasha Khalil um, ends up becoming that Supergirl in um, James Gunn's upcoming planned Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow adaptation. You know, based on the Tom King, um, Bilquis Evely uh, maxi series, we'll see if that comes about. Um, I'm kind of hoping she does because I think, if nothing else, I think the actress, after going through all this, um, may deserve it a little bit. That at least she deserves first dibs at it. I think, and uh, I guess it'll all depend on how everybody, you know, reaction to this character, this version of the character. So far, I think it's been pretty positive. And um, I certainly think Warner Brothers could do you know, worse by, by not allowing um, Sasha to continue on the role. 
I, I think so too. I saw from some of the internet chatter that uh, one of the highlights of this movie was this particular Supergirl. So we can only hope that down the line, once the Gunverse kicks in, whether she will still be around for that Supergirl movie. We can only hope and uh, wait and see. And Greg, when it comes to you, your thoughts on uh, on our two Batman, Batman and Supergirl. All right. Well, I'll start with Ben Affleck, Batman. You know, this was the first I saw him as Batman. And all I got for years was don't bother, don't bother, don't bother. And I went in there and was pleasantly surprised with this Batman. Now, granted, it was an extended cameo. And I didn't watch, a, you know, like a three-hour Justice League movie or, or something like that. I may be interested in going and revisiting those movies, though my partner's with me at the at the movie said, you still don't have to bother. They, you know, they still told me it, it's, it's okay. Um, you know, I took this movie, it, it, I could add some thoughts in with these three, with a grain of salt at that point and going in as this layman of, I don't get to be disappointed with the Flash, you know, um, because I didn't have a Flash to compare it to. Um, and so I'm enjoying it at that point. So I see Ben Affleck's Batman and I said, he's not too bad. Um, I enjoyed him. I enjoyed that mentorship relationship. Um, and that's all there is to it. I mean, he's only in the big opening sequence and that one scene as Bruce. And I liked him just fine. I like Jeremy Irons just fine for that matter. So again, I was, you know, this was his swan song appearing as Batman and Jeremy Irons as Alfred. So, was, you know, Maybe I should check it out. I, I don't know. I have much more important things to do, but maybe it's not out of the question to finally see those Man of Steel sequels, if you will. Okay. If you so enjoy it, check it out, Greg. If you enjoy it, check it out. Yeah, 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 maybe. There's nothing um, wrong with that. So, yes, as far as Ben Affleck, I, I did. I, I enjoyed it. Um, exactly. I could form more of an opinion of him by seeing those movies, of course. Um, so that was me on Ben Affleck. I was like, that's Batman. Sure. That's a Batman. That's a fine Batman. So let's skip Keaton until the end because obviously I have things to say. So as far as Sasha Kelly, I mean, look, I've seen bits and pieces. Uh, I reviewed Supergirl on this very program and it's a horrible film, but that's not on account of Helen Slater at all. It was not on account of her. So, uh, that was a nice wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And I thought the, the minute I saw that Easter egg, I'm like, oh, this is great because I reviewed Supergirl on that program. Not only did I review it, but with Devin Smith. Uh, so that was that gave me the feels there. But I am digressing. So, you know, I've seen bits and pieces of, you know, we don't know, as uh, Charles pointed out, this is a raven haired Supergirl. So it's, you know, this is we're going in a different direction with Supergirl. Um and I'd seen bits and pieces of Melissa Benowitz's performance. Very good. You know, I mean, that's, yeah, that's Supergirl. So Kara uh, here, yeah, um, she didn't leave an impression on me. And nor, you know, th there she is on screen. And I'm like, I'm not really invested in this character. But there's no denying that her performance was admirable. And that she probably went into this thinking I don't know if I'm going to get another shot at this at all, but she went in there and she's like, well, damn it though. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to give everything here. I'm going to give 110% because I don't know, but it doesn't seem like she was about that. 
She doesn't seem like it, it went in. She's like, I'm going to go in this, go in here and I'm going to do my job. And she did. And I appreciated that. I appreciated the character, but I wasn't invested in her going in. I wasn't, I'm like, okay, there's Supergirl. I did turn and whisper to one of my friends and said, do you think we're going to get Cavill here? And they said, or Cavill, and they said, well, absolutely not. I mean, he's, he's out of the character. And I'm like, could all of this have been, you know, chatter to set, you know, to surprise us like we've had in other movies, Harrison Ford in Rise of Skywalker, for example, you know? So that's a perfect segue to Batman, to Michael Keaton, because that's what it was like. Look, when you're, first of all, I don't think I'd be on this program right now if Michael Keaton wasn't back as Batman. I think that was the big deciding factor that got me in the seat, of course. Going into the theater, too, I didn't see one Flash t-shirt. It was Michael Keaton, 89, Batman going in. And people were excited. And so when you're in a theater filled with fans of Keaton's Batman and the applause and the just the joy that was there, of course, I'm going to be high on it. And of course, I'm going to enjoy it, you know, even more than if I was in a private screener or watching it at home on a Blu-ray or something. But look, uh, as far as him being retired, that just took me to Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. I mean, I didn't think that that was, you know, wrong of, of him to be retired. I figured, oh, maybe something happened to his psyche, like in, um, you know, Dark Knight Returns. This movie had some, and, and it's shown here in, in Michael Keaton's Batman, it kind of had um, a little bit of a problem balancing the comic moments and the dark moments. It is a, an adventure, a fantasy, comedy, you know, sci-fi, of course, all that stuff. But, like, it's so light one moment and so dark another. A little weird. The pacing was a little weird, a little wonky at times. But overall, we saw Batman, which was very reminiscent of that opening night of Force Awakens, seeing Chewie and, and Han again. And that was this case. I am. I walked out of that completely satisfied. A couple of things I maybe didn't like, but they're so minor I can't even think of um, of naming them. I did think to myself. I took another thing with a grain of salt in that this might not be the Michael Keaton Batman of that universe. I don't know what that intention was. I'm not going to claim to know. And even if it'll give me some comfort, you could say no. You know, it, it's one of those things where if a character does die like that and he died a hero but still you know you you could take a look and go well it, it's these are all different timelines you know there's still all different timelines you could think yes this is the batman i watched in batman and batman returns or you could think no it's just michael keaton playing him again there are some things i looked at at this movie as ah, i don't know if i'm going to count that as canon but I enjoyed it for what it was. And that is the theme of, of my feeling on this movie is that I did enjoy it for what it was and felt like, uh, look, I know there are problems attached to this. I don't necessarily have the burden of having those problems. You know, I, I understand that. So I was very satisfied by Michael Keaton. I love his mentorship. Looked great at 71. Looked great back in the cowl again. Um, and uh, for the most part, 95 to even 99.9 percent i was very happy with uh with his return and we probably won't see him again and i think it was a, just a nice 
reminding us of that joy, taking us back to Keaton's Batman films. So oh, I, I'll end it there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. I mean, you know, to, to kind of, I guess, piggyback on that uh, that point that you made there, Greg, about uh, about Michael Keaton. Yeah, I'm sure. And even Charles mentioned this as well. He was definitely, you, you know, the, one of the reasons I guess they had him in here was because of the whole Ezra Miller thing and wanting to get butts in seats, even though, sadly, this movie is not faring particularly well at the box office for reasons that I kind of illustrated earlier. I also was very happy. I mean, I wasn't it, uh, it was, it's weird to say, but yes, I was looking forward to seeing Michael Keaton again as Batman, but it wasn't the selling point for me. I just was like, kind of, I just really want to see what the heck they're going to do with this movie and how, you know, a director that I've seen do two It movies is going to do a, uh, a superhero movie. Um, when it actually came to the characters themselves, yes, Ben Affleck does a decent job, I think, even in the pre in Batman versus Superman. Dawn of Justice, it's not the best movie, but uh, definitely check it out. Uh, I will agree with Charles if you enjoyed what Ben did briefly here, because as he, I think he does he does well as a, as a Bruce Wayne. And yeah, as I, as I pointed out, yeah, the fact of the, the being a mentor, both Batmen are definitely mentors to Barry. And I was almost thinking to myself, are they trying to make The Flash the Spider-Man of the DCEU and you know, compared to the MCU counterpart where you have the Iron Man, Spider-Man relationship. And here you have the Batman flash relationship because, Hey, that worked for the MCU. It could probably work for us too. So that might've been the thought behind doing that, that and having that particular relationship between the two. And yes, they, of course, both of them are the, are the voice of wisdom and they try their best and their darndest to let both Barry's know that this is not such a good idea. We should, and you're, and you're, you're probably doing things wrong and stuff, but, of course, as even Keith pointed out, it falls on deaf ears. But yeah, both played their parts to a T. And I will also add that Mr. Wolfish's rendition of the Batman theme was superb. One, one, of, the, one of the points, oh, the positive points of this movie is definitely the Wolfish score, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So yeah, I mean, that and the whole the whole spaghetti scene, a lot of folks got laughed in my theater and found it hysterical. I thought it was a little bit much, and it kept hammering home the thing of the Flash has to eat in order to fight, which is not really the case. They kind of made him into, they kind of Dragon Ball, the whole thing, where he's like, you know, the Super Saiyans who have to eat food. If not, they, they will be out of energy and can't fight. So I found that a little bit you know, silly, in my honest opinion, because they had to hammer home that his metabolism is so fast that he has to eat constantly in order to keep up, you know, to keep his metabolism going. So I thought that was a little bit silly. And yeah, you know, seeing Barry kind of, my, eat, you know, eating the pat, the spaghetti that way. I was like, no, I, I don't like that. Now I, I kind of felt like Michael Keaton, Batman in that moment, literally kind of, you know, frowning at him going, what the hell is this guy doing? I felt the same way. So yeah, I was, I was pleased with the two Batman, but definitely to me, the highlight was, uh, was Sasha Kayez as, as Cara Zarel. I really, really enjoyed this character, even though her appearance on the screen was brief. She definitely made an impact with me because I really liked the fact that she's been imprisoned by humans for so long. She gets saved she doesn't immediately go to the rescue of our characters and try and help the human race because she's like, humans have been horrible to me for so long. Why should I help them? And then of course, you know, she has, she has a you know, change of heart and helps Barry out. And then of course uh, comes in and is part of the, um, part of the uh, adventurers and fighting general Zod. So that, that was cool. And I definitely do hope that she will, uh, that she will get more when uh, once again, once the gun verse kicks in, because she, she definitely made an impact on me. And, and I agree with Charles. I, I definitely think she was chosen because she could look like a cousin to Cavill's Superman. So, and and the the, the suit was cool. I you know I love the design. Everything was fabulous in that in that sense. So, funny enough, the highlight for me of this trio was actually Kara Zor-El. So there you go. 
So let's get to the dark side of the table, gentlemen, and round up our characters with ultimately our villain. And no, it's not the reverse Flash. It's Ezra Miller as Barry Allen, Dark Flash. So Charles, starting with you, what did you make of our villain, if you will? Well, to no one's surprise, really, uh, Ezra Miller is the villain of his own movie, right? So as it turns out, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the 2013 Barry about his descent and uh, kind of because of his immaturity that um, he feels that, you know, he's capable of somehow fixing everything. And ultimately this, you know, in a pretty, pretty clunky way, as far as I'm concerned, it gets revealed in the third act where, you know, you start seeing little, blades broken off of um you know the you know general zod's armor or what have you sticking out of barry the 2013 barry's body and you kind of you know blade you know the various chunks of armor or whatever get kind of embedded in his skin and so it pretty quickly becomes apparent well okay that thing you saw earlier in the movie well it's the 2013 barry and you have the present day Barry having to, to face off essentially against himself. And um, it, it's, it becomes this. I think that one of the fundamental flaws, I think of this script is that there isn't a mo- a villain for you to really root against here that, you know, you if you have a hero, and you're telling a superhero story, you have to really have an antagonist to play off of. And, you know, if, if it's something that, you know, a, a villain that you could perhaps root for, or at least find a little bit sympathetic, you know, even better because that adds dimension to the, the villain, right? But here with Barry, and at least as far as, you know, this dark flash, what it is is just a younger version of Barry that got a little bit out of control and wasn't mature enough to, to accept that there are things he couldn't change. And in order to contrast against that, you have the 2023 Barry who realizes this and decides to stop at least for now, not meddling in, in, you know, the timeline. But, uh, but this younger version continues this, and essentially he becomes this bootstrap paradox where, kind of in a chicken or the egg kind of way, he creates himself. And so ultimately, it's up to himself to take himself off the board, if you're up for those kind of pronouns, right? Um, he, he has to, you know, he essentially negates everything by taking himself off the board. So you kind of, as a viewer, especially if you're not one that can just kind of hand wave that stuff, um, you're probably kind of like scratching your head, right? You're probably going, okay, what did, what happened here that, okay, so younger Barry turned into the bad guy, but then because younger Barry sacrificed himself, the bad guy is no more. And therefore younger Barry is no more. What? <laughs> so, 
I could see where people would get frustrated with that. And, you know, it's, um, I have to think that if you had a more traditional villain, um, even if you had a time travel villain like the reverse Flash, hey, there's an idea. Let's use the villain that killed Barry's mom as the bad guy of the Flash's movie. You know, his arch rival. And if you had something a little bit more like that, it probably would have helped streamline the plot, made that third act maybe a little bit more satisfying to people, um, at least to those who weren't satisfied with it, like myself. And, um, you know, it probably would have had, you know, you could probably have more truly heroic moments where you're rooting for the hero to overcome said villain. Here, you're just kind of, you know, Barry is almost just like a bystander through all this, that um, he's about to be killed by the Dark Flash. And it's only through the intervention, the sacrifice of his younger self that uh, he continues to exist in a paradox because, well, hey, if it's a younger self, even in a different par- you know, timeline, how does, uh, how does the older Barry continue to exist? So, again, lots of questions. Probably could have been, you know, just completely not even worried about if you had a more traditional villain. And I think, unfortunately, I think this film suffers because of that. Indeed, too many questions, Mr. Wayne, too many questions. So <laughs> good points there, indeed, Charles. And Greg, what did you make of The Dark Flash? You know, at this point in watching the film, I was accepting it for what it is. And that's something I got to give myself credit that I rarely am able to do. And with this movie, I very much was able to do that. And uh, I I consider myself lucky for that, if you will, of not suffering while watching this movie. So the dark flash kind of brought me to, I want to separate that this is don't, it, they happen to be superheroes here, but this is a messing up the timeline story. It is not a hero versus villain story. And the main antagonist is Barry because he screwed the timeline up trying to kind of fulfill a selfish purpose because sometimes you got to deal with the card you're dealt. And I think dark flash drives that point home of what they, the writers decided to make this movie. They decided not to make it a hero versus villain story. They decided to make it comical with heart with moments of darkness, but kind of a light feel to it. And I accepted that. And with Dark Flash, I thought they gave us a nice um, topper to what this movie was trying to say. I I think they knew they were going into a troubled production, you know, and they kind of, for lack of a better word, had fun with it, even if it meant not honoring the character of the Flash. The character of Dark Flash, I must say, honored the movie to show that the flash was because general Zod comes in there and is causing a conundrum, but he's not the problem. And it's a lesson to be learned. It's an ends. Do the ends justify the mean story. And it's something that gave even me the feels in that I've thought of the what if scenarios, if I could do this before and change these events that happened in my life, traumas and, um, 
you know, I was thinking too, that's how Batman and, and Flash in this story do connect because it's, they became superheroes for the same reason. But I kind of at that point didn't feel, I kind of felt like the superheroes, dare I say the word, was a MacGuffin point of the story for the, not the loose term of MacGuffin, of course. And uh, I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense that the villain is Barry in another timeline. Um, and I mean, yes, it's kind of a cop out at times where you could say, oh, it's just a different timeline, different time. Different that. A little lazy. You know, I, I recognize that. But for the most part, I kind of thought that was a great cherry topper for the film to have Dark Flash be your your villain because he is the villain. And it wasn't even Dark Flash who set all these things into motion. Dark Flash happened because Barry himself of 2023 set it all into motion. So that's what I'll say about that. Well, yeah, it was definitely a consequence, of course, of Barry's actions, for sure. And Keith, what did you make of Dark Flash? It was, we needed some way to end the story kind of a character. Because you would have imagined that with young Flash trying to alter the timeline numerous times and as spaghetti batman we're going to call him let him know that anytime you change this something it's just it's a pivot point so it's never really changed the fact that old flash who apparently is about a thousand and ten because he's been doing it that long had not learned over this millennia that he can't fix that just kind of goes to the lazy writing because 2023 Flash realizes when Bruce dies that he can't save him or can't fix this again. He learns that immediately. It's just like this one, he fixed it once, screwed up the second time, and he's not going to go for a third time because we're not going to go for the triple double and see what happens. He knows that like this is a fixed point, <laughs> Doctor Who, and it has to happen. So he lets it happen. He doesn't like freak out like younger Flash and keep going back in time, keep going back in time, keep going back in time. And when they all kind of mash up in the, the tidy bowl, as I'm going to call it, because it was that shit brown color. When they all finally like meet up and they're, they're fighting and you realize that that's old man Flash and you're like, I groaned. I literally groaned in the theater. I was like, oh, really? Like you guys are doing that? Because again, if they had introduced reverse Flash, None of this needed to happen. Literally, Reverse Flash would have... Barry would have been off somewhere realizing the shit's gone sideways and Reverse Flash would have just been like, good on you. All I did was kill your mom. You did all of this. And then he realizes it and goes back and, you know, corrects the third act. I mean, you still have all the death, the destruction, whatever. But that was an extra 30 minutes of the movie they could have dedicated to literally anything else. Just... One line with reverse flash off in the field somewhere, giggling at regular Barry Allen because he realizes that all the stuff he's been trying to do to Barry all these years, Barry is his worst enemy. And the fact that the younger Barry and 2023 Barry are in totally different trajectories that younger Barry never realizes this after doing it for literally what we'll say 70 years trying to change the timeline, 70 years. I can only imagine the millions of timelines he has created that he never learns. At some point, you would have like, you know, the whole definition of insanity that kicks in. You would imagine like, OK, I can't do this anymore because clearly nothing is working. Nope, not in this movie. Screw it. Let's go. 
and you know he gets more and more disfigured he gets that weird body armor due to i'm going to assume roadkill because it's kind of splattered all over his person you know again that's another thing that doesn't really necessarily get explained you know he has this giant chunk of metal in his arm which any sane person with super healing would have ripped out so he would heal nope not this barry i'm gonna run with it literally and he's a kid with scissors basically and i love how all of you guys are laughing but yeah, that's what you know he's a young person trapped in an old person's body basically they could have done so many more things with this character as we've seen in the flash tv show when they did introduce the variants and the reverse flash that they given enough runway they could have done a much better story so i'm disappointed that that's what we got as the villain as just old man him being dumb well and of course we had to laugh kid because it was incredibly entertaining and i'm sure that our, our listeners will appreciate that as well and yeah i kind of would have liked to have seen made the reverse flash somewhere in the distance kind of like an an evil an evil version of puck kind of doing his up and down up and down i shall lead them up and down kind of thing so uh i would have kind of kind of liked that but of course we didn't get that and yeah i guess to greg's point even I suppose the the concept they are trying to hammer home is you're your own worst enemy, as in you keep doing doing the, the same thing. You messed up the timeline, so you're creating your own villains, which I guess sometimes is the case. It uh, can be seen as the case. Sometimes the argument that can be made in the world of superheroes that do superheroes create their own villains or... Uh, do they uh, do they come out as a as a reaction to what the superhero is doing? So that is a debate that can, that uh, of course has been going on for some time. When it comes to that kind of what's the chicken or the egg thing that uh, that Charles was referring to, and yes, it, he is very much the result of that Sisyphean um, attempt to roll the stone up the hill when it keeps coming back down. He just but he just keeps doing it. I mean that's the obviously the Sisyphus story, and that's very much what Dark Flash is. He's like, I can do this eventually. The, the outcome will be different. And he just gets so bogged down and obsessed with wanting to fix the timeline that he doesn't realize, of course, that there's certain fixed points in time that cannot be altered. And I mean, I, I as I mentioned before, I would have liked to have seen the reverse flash myself, but I do also see, I guess, where Muschietti and his team were going with, as in, you know, Barry's, Barry's literally his own worst enemy because of what he's doing. And the funny fact, fun thing is, when I first saw the dark flash appear, in that very brief moment, I'm like, are we going to get the Black Racer? Because that would have been really cool had that been it. But um, but that wasn't the case, sadly. So I see what they're going with, but I was a little bit dissatisfied with that uh, that uh, that constant that idea. I mean, I, I I can see that maybe it can be seen as the lesson of uh, there's certain things in life that you just can't change and you have to deal with them. Um, and do, or, or don't be like Dark Flash. Don't try and change things that can't be changed. So. I see where they're going, but yeah, I was a little bit disappointed when it came to this particular character, I will be honest. So I guess, uh, guys, since there were a lot of Easter eggs, and of course we've got our post credit scene where George Clooney shows up and not Ben Affleck, um, I'm actually, let, let's uh, go down the line here and see uh, what you guys you know took from this movie and what your favorite Easter eggs or highlights and your thoughts on the post credit scene. So Greg, starting with you, did you have any particular favorites when it came to the Easter eggs and what was your thoughts on the post credit scene? Well, I know people, all right, well, let's get the post credit scene then right out of the way. I, there's nothing for me to relate to because I have not seen, you know, Justice League and Aquaman, I, you know. So, I mean, I thought it was amusing and 
I kind of thought in my head, you know, oh, this is what I hear about what they did with Thor in the movies, make him kind of like drunk and, and uh, right, like a little out of it. Thor. So I'm like, okay, we got a little out of it. Aquaman. All right. That's cute. Okay. Um, and let me say, I, I, I guess this is a, a perfect way to say, you know, like when Jason Momoa was cast as Aquaman, despite if he did a good job or not, I had that feeling of, you know, I was familiar with Aquaman. Well, that's not my Aquaman. This big, you know, like Viking dude with dark hair. I mean, that's not my Aquaman. So I had my feelings on that, but that was a very entertaining scene. And I know we saw him in the timeline flashpoint there. Look, I know a lot of people were offended, but it was one of those things with Christopher Reeve. And it was one of those things where I think people on the Internet love to complain sometimes and love to be trolls. Look, I get why some people think it's a tasteless thing to do. They've done it so much now. It's such a common thing with bringing actors who have passed away and putting them there. I'm personally not offended by it. I do understand it. If it's done tastefully, and I think, I mean, it, it was sort of like, okay, DC Universe before James Gunn comes in, take a bow. Take a bow. You're done. It's going in another direction. And I very much appreciate it. I mean, they gave us George Reeves and Adam West. You know, come on. I mean, they really, and you, as you know, if I followed any comics and characters, it's DC. So I got a, and of course, my father and I bonded, as you know, growing up with DC characters. So that was very nice for me, uh, Christopher Reeve. And even putting, um, as, as we mentioned before about Helen Slater, you know, because that movie wasn't terrible because of her. And it was sort of like a nice way of, you know, we see you. We see you, Helen Slater. We know what you gave. You gave it your all. It's just the movie was garbage, you know. Um, but I enjoyed all that very much. And I thought Clooney was like, okay, well, this is a nice icing to the cake in the comedic tone that this movie took and you know we all know everyone hates batman and robin you know and so or for the most part and so that was like a nice little you know i really felt it was a admirable little joke of clooney making fun of himself dc making fun of that batman and my theater went crazy i mean they there was applauding and laughing at at clooney so yeah uh, uh, that would that would be it. I, I liked all those Easter eggs, and uh, that's my feelings on it. Well, I, I cannot say enough good things about George Clooney. I mean, as the years have gone by, he's mm. definitely surprised me, especially as a director. He's really given us some great yeah. movies as a director. So, and uh, not to mention, you know, the, his stances on certain things. So, uh, I'm definitely I'm definitely a George fan myself. And Keith. What did you make of George Clooney showing up, of Aquaman being drunk? And yeah, what, did you have any particular Easter eggs that you really enjoyed? So I, I appreciate George Clooney. They could have thrown out Aquaman. I, I think he is a huge waste of a character. There was no point in that. And if anything, it's just more of an insult to Henry Cavill because they just hate him apparently in the DC universe because he has literally not been in anything since Black Adam, and apparently that's his fault. The bonus, the multiverse, as it were, I really wish they had included a lot more of the TV shows because there were so many TV shows. We had so many iterations of Flash, you know, Batman, Superman, 
all those characters. We didn't have to include every universe, but the fact that the WB Flash included this Flash, it would have been a nice homage to it because you don't see Grant or any of those characters in that multiverse bubble shenanigans, but yet they bring up um, that crappy-ass Nicolas Cage pitch-meeting bullshit. But yeah, there's time for that, but we can't get literally any of the other good flashes, Superman, Batman, any of those other characters. We couldn't see. They didn't feel like we wanted to see, but I wanted to see Grant because of the fact that Miller was in his show. That would have been a great tie-in. You know, a lot of people complain that, oh, the TV universes and the movie universes are two different literally universes. And this would have been the perfect segue to that to prove them correct. But nope, we're going to have some weird CGI, jello-looking whatever people doing all of these characters. And again, most of these characters were in the Flash TV show. So it wasn't like you really had to go far to find iterations of the original Flash or, you know, your Batman 66 with Adam West. All of these characters I wanted to see, and I got none of that. I got stupid Aquaman being dumb and drunk. Something different than him being in his other movies, being drunk, dumb Aquaman. Like, it was just like, great. We have a different George Clooney, but same Aquaman. How does that work out? That's 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 true. Unless uh, they're they're hinting at the fact that the last movie of the DCU will be the Aquaman sequel, and that's maybe why they want to remind us, like, hey, we do have one more movie. We have the Aquaman sequel, so don't give up on the DCU just yet. So maybe I hope they cancel that movie. <laughs> I I guess we'll see whether it will be a very aquatic Christmas or not, because apparently that's when uh, when Aquaman should be showing up. And uh, Charles. Uh, what did you make of our our um, George Clooney, our Aquaman, and did you have any favorite Easter eggs? Yeah, um, I guess we'll t- let's talk about Clooney and in the Aquaman post credits, such as it was right off the bat. Clooney was a fun; it was a fine gag. I mean, that's basically all it was. It was just like, hey, remember George Clooney, the the Batman that is everybody everybody's least favorite on their list of movie Batman. Well, here he is showing up at the very end. And um, this was something that apparently, uh, from what I was reading, they just shot in January of this year, January 2023. This is one of the, the reason they kept this ending secret was because, well, this is one of the last things they shot. And originally it was supposed to feature Michael Keaton getting out of that car with Sasha Khalil's Supergirl. And then we got this Clooney gag instead. Um, okay, fine. It was a fine gag. I had nothing against it. Um, kind of underwhelming, really, as far as I'm concerned. But okay, fine. Um, just to kind of, you know, like make Barry go like, what? The timelines all changed because still because, well, I went back and altered the timeline. Just, you know, get my dad out of jail. Okay. Um, the post credit scene completely worthless because for one thing, it doesn't set up the Aquaman film that's coming out. Aquaman, the lost kingdom. It doesn't even, um, you know, set up any other films. It's just kind of more feels like, Hey, here's a cut scene that we took out of the film and decide, well, we'll just tack it onto the end because, Hey, here's Jason Momoa. Um, 
being drunk and going face down into a puddle because, hey, wouldn't it be funny if, you know, he passes out into a puddle on the street and he can still breathe just fine because, hey, he's Aquaman. That's basically it. Do we need that? No. Um, certainly not. It's certainly not worth sitting through the entire credits to watch. So if you're going to if you want to see that scene, just wait till it hits streaming or wherever you watch, you know, you're going to watch the flash, just fast forward to the end, save yourself the time. Um, Cause it's definitely not worth your time. Uh, the Easter eggs. Well, there's some interesting ones. We open up this, you know, we get an opening chase where Batman and the flash are, are dealing with um, these higher goons, higher goons with, you know, that are apparently belonging to the son of Falcone, which probably hints at maybe Alberto Falcone, AKA holiday from Batman, the long Halloween, perhaps, but we don't get any indication of that. It's not really mentioned. Gal Gadot turns up as wonder woman one last time, at least where, Apparently, the only reason she's in this movie was that so that Ben Affleck's Batman and, and Barry can touch the lasso of truth and have all these awkward admissions where the Flash gets to admit to everybody that, hey, he's a virgin. Ha, 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 ha. How hilarious. I died. I cried a little bit when he did that. I was like, oh. Now, we do get a little fun little nods here and there. Obviously, you know, when we get to the Batcave. You know, you get to see the younger Barry picking up the laughing bag from the Joker, you know, that from the end of Batman 89. That was fun. That was a nice little nod. Um, when we get to, you know, the Chrono Bowl, where you start seeing, you know, worlds collide, at least two of them, and you start getting all these little, you know, PG little homages. Like Greg, uh, to Greg's point, I don't really thought, I didn't really think that they were trying to be, you know, just outright cruel or callous. I just thought that they came off as like, hey, here are some actors that we liked. Um, you know, we're just kind of going to acknowledge them and, you know, just kind of give like a little, you know, quick little bit of nostalgia to people. So I didn't really have a problem with that. I know that. You know, some people are like, oh, you know, they're dancing on Christopher Ree's grave. No, no, they're not. Dial it back, calm down, take a volume, whatever it takes. Just, you know, just dial it back. They're not going that far. Um, they just thought it was a be a fun idea. That's all. My problem, though, is all the potential cameos that they could have had. And this is to Keith's point, I think, that we didn't get to see because essentially what it is, is, Hey, here's a bunch of Superman actors. Here's a bunch of Batman actors, but okay. Where's Linda Carter's wonder woman. Where is Ryan Reynolds green lantern for crying out loud? Where is, Oh, Hey, I don't know. John Wesley ships, the flash, you know, the guy who was the first live action flash that we got as, as you know, who got his own TV series. Where's his little nod. Where is where is John Wesley Ship as oh I don't know Jay Garrick the character that he came back in? You don't get any of that. You don't get Grant Gustin as the Flash. Here you are trying to you do get a little bit of a Jay Garrick, but again it's 
somebody who kind of sort of looks like Teddy Sears' version, but it's not Teddy Sears, apparently. And it's certainly not John Wesley Shipp, who gets completely left out. Um, you know, you don't get any of the Arrowverse characters. You know, you don't get, you don't get, you know, you don't get Green Arrow. You don't get any of the legends. You don't get John Constantine. You don't get any of those characters that could have appeared and like made this, like this would have been truly epic. Had you like, okay, you know, we're seeing all these different characters in this big spiraling, you know, collision of worlds and all these little, you know, very fleeting cameos. We could have gotten that. And as a result, it just felt kind of hollow. And in some cases you're just kind of scratching your head, especially if you're not familiar with the whole Superman lives, you know, aborted movie that never happened. You're wondering, well, why is Nicolas Cage up there as Superman? And why does he have like ridiculously long hair? And what's that costume he's wearing? And, oh, why is he fighting a giant spider? Well, kids, let me tell you a little quick story. There's a reason for that. Because, hey, it was a nod to producer John Peters, who kind of insisted to Kevin Smith, who pitched the idea back in 1996 of doing Superman Lives that, oh, there should be a giant spider in the script. You know, Nicolas Cage's Superman should fight a giant spider. That's why it's there. So essentially, it's a big little in-joke to anybody who is familiar at all with that story. Anybody who's not is going to have to look it up and or maybe listen to this podcast to find out why the hell that was in there. And again, to Keith's point, why the hell was that time devoted to that little gag? Why was it why did we get that and not any of the other potential cameos that, you know, would have been a little bit more heartwarming, a little bit more nostalgic, and certainly had a little bit more emotional resonance than Nicolas Cage as Superman fighting a giant spider. So, you know, the, you know what they were, okay, great, but I mostly I just kind of sum this up as lost potential. And again, really, you know, rushed ideas that could have been thought out so much better and better executed, really. I, I think lost potential is a very apt description because yeah, I mean I I did I did smile seeing as I mentioned before George Clooney because I as I said I do appreciate him both as an actor, the director and as a human being. So it definitely made me smile if it was kind of fun. Yeah, I, I was also kind of wondering about the whole post-credit scene for Aquaman, because as I mentioned before, maybe it was like, hey, we have one more movie left. But to your point, Charles, they didn't really didn't really lead in to the next movie unless the, the sequel opens up with um arthur curry waking up from the puddle going oh i've got stuff to do and then and off he goes but it's hard to say but that maybe my, it damn know, well my... better that's all i'm saying i want to oh, see yeah. drunk aquaman yeah. waking up with a hangover or you know i don't know there's it gonna was... be hell to pay <laughs> <laughs> it would be kind of fun i guess once christmas rolls around i guess we'll see what happens with that yeah the easter eggs i was kind of a little bit scratching my head about the about the nick cage um kind of one appearance there. I mean, I, I got it because I knew the story, but I also would agree that too much time was spent on that. And since, as even Keith pointed out, uh, the CW universe did cross over with the DCEU in that particular episode of The Flash where Grant Gustin and Ezra Miller actually crossed paths. You, you could have had them return the favor with Grant Gustin showing up 
or, or Heck, even any of the other characters from the CW Heck, even Tyler Hecklin from Superman and Lois would have been a nice appearance, or Melissa Benoist, as Greg was mentioning earlier, as Supergirl. So those, I definitely think, were, lo were lost uh, chances that, that uh, Muschietti and the writers did not pick up on. So it's a shame. But other than that, I did. I was I was kind of happy and got a little bit choked up when I did see Christopher Reeve and Helen Slate together there. I'm like, because, you know, we love Christopher Reeve. You, you, you know, wonderful guy and awesome. And the, the Superman movies are fabulous. So there's, you know, what's not to love about him? And yeah, the Helen Slater Supergirl movie. We did talk about it for more. For more on that, you can check out our review on it. But uh, yeah, horrible movie. But uh, Helen definitely did her best with it. So the moment of truth, guys, let's get to ratings. Keith. What do you give the Flash out of ten? I plead the fifth. <laughs> um, it's so it's hard. a five. It's, then yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to be technical, that'd be correct. It'd be a five. Um, I, I think oh, I don't, I'm not going to give it a good grade. Um, I, I might have to give it a, a, a six. And the reason why I'm being generous is because that Batman soundtrack. Every time he was on screen, when you had him flying around in the plane, all that, just the music, it got me choked up because I'm remembering the original animated series or Batman 89, all of that, that brought, you know, playing all those memories back. Literally the only saving grace or one of the only saving graces to this movie. So actually I'll be generous. I'll give it a five and a half. Almost passing, almost failed. It's right on the border. It's literally kind of there. It's there, but not there. And yes, as I'd mentioned before, yeah, Wolfish did a great job uh, with his arrangement of that particular, of the Batman theme. Charles, what do you give this? Well, I've been trying to give this a little bit of thought. Um, I'm a little bit more generous than Keith on this one. I think that, you know, there's obviously you. things that I really enjoy. Batman 89, obviously, you know, seeing Michael Keaton as Batman, that's a big highlight for me. Um, one of the real saving graces, really. Sasha Khalil is Supergirl. I thought that was great. Um, would have liked to have seen more of her. Would have liked to have seen more depth to her character, but I enjoyed you know, her being on screen. I think that there's potential there. We'll see if Warner Brothers does anything with it. Um, you know, seeing a lot of the other characters, you know, cameos and Easter eggs, that was fun. You know, seeing Wonder Woman again, seeing Ben Affleck again, Jeremy Irons as Alfred. I enjoyed all that. Um, unfortunately, you know, this movie is centered around Ezra Miller. So we keep getting back to the main problem, at least for me. So I'm going to give this seven out of 10 babies in a microwave. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Okay. Oh, <laughs> set to nuke. Fair, fair enough. And uh, Greg, the modern nuke the fridge, apparently. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so Greg, your your ratings on on the Flash movie? Well, I did rate it on IMDb, and uh, I have to go by entertainment value here. And what me, your guy off the street for the Flash movie, went in and my experience, and I actually gave this movie and give this movie an eight. I enjoyed it. Well, I mean, at least somebody enjoyed it on this podcast, which is good. So, uh, so that's that's why I'm so glad that you know, that you also did join us because we, you know, it definitely e you know equaled the playing field, if you will, with those who were not happy with it and those who were. So that's that's great. I'm glad Always you did, Greg. I, I wish yeah. I, I wish I enjoyed it as much as you did. I really do. Yeah. So I'm yeah. happy for you. Always well, a method to one. our madness, Nick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> indeed, indeed. I'm actually going to also give this a seven because uh, thinking of the, the, the positive things, as I mentioned before, the, the Benjamin Wolf, Wolfish score, um, Sasha Kaye's Supergirl, Michael Keaton again. And, uh, and you know, there were moments where I generally did laugh out loud and I actually was enjoying myself and just literally leaning back in my comfortable little chair in the, the th- or seat in the theater. It's like, oh, yeah, this is not half bad. So uh, by and large, I think uh, maybe there's more positives than negatives. But yeah, Ezra Miller, obviously, being a, a deciding factor on that and going higher than a seven. So it's a seven out of ten for me. So let's get to recommendations then. Charles, for folks who... Uh, might, who enjoyed this movie and might find, want to find out more about The Flash and such, a, what would you recommend our listeners check out? Well, obviously, if you watch this movie, the main easy reference is obviously Flashpoint by Jeff Johns and Andy Kubert. Um, but personally, I would recommend other storylines because these are storylines. I got three here that I think would have made better films than basing it on Flashpoint. So I'm going to recommend first... The Return of Barry Allen, which was written by Mark Wade, drawn by Greg LaRock, and featured the, oh, hey, the reverse Flash, and who comes back and is posing as Barry Allen. Now, obviously, you could adapt that, um, you know, instead of having Wally West being surprised that, you know, his dead uncle Barry is back, that you could have, oh, I don't know, Barry Allen being surprised that Jake Garrick is back, and the reverse flash is posing as him perhaps, but they didn't go that route. So I would also recommend dead heat, the flash dead heat, which is also written by Mark Wade drawn by Oscar Jimenez and Humberto Ramos. And this features the introduction of Savitar who was a, you know, kind of like a, a, a like almost like a, a speed force cult leader. And uh, he was a very imposing threat Something that, you know, like I said, I think this movie could have sorely needed, you know, something, you know, maybe, you know, something that a little bit more stakes involved, you know, not just the fact that, oh, hey, the hero screws up and, uh, you know, he's his own worst enemy. At least that's the way I see it. So I think that's a great storyline. You can't go wrong with that. And then lastly, I would also recommend and I'll go back to a Jeff John storyline for this one. The Flash Blitz, which introduced Zoom, which was a version of the reverse Flash. Uh, only this one is uh, Hunter Zolomon, who is a friend of the Flash, only ends up uh, becoming evil. So you have a little bit of a personal connection there as well. So um, great storyline, great storyline by Jeff Johns and drawn by Scott Collins. Um, you know, just uh, there, there were definitely alternatives here. And when you're doing the very first Flash movie ever on the big screen and um, that maybe that would have been a, perhaps, you know, at least something that should have been more considered, perhaps. Well, some stunning recommendations right there, Charles. So folks, definitely be sure to pick those books up indeed. Greg, did you have anything you'd like to recommend? Um, no, but I would make a summation final point in that again i can't stress enough that i get all that and even as charles held up his uh, other incarnations of the flash one thing i did know years ago you know when justice league came or batman versus superman you know i did think to myself as little as i know the flash character i did realize 
yeah, what's with casting Ezra Miller? You know, even though we didn't know anything about Ezra Miller then, you know, and we know what we know now, it's like, what is that? That is beyond non-traditional casting, you know? And I looked up whose decision that was, and it was Zack Snyder's. Uh, so it was a very odd choice there. Very odd. You know, even when they have... That's who we know, have to blame I'm, for all this. Yes. Zack Snyder. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, because even, you know, looking at when Sheldon Cooper sees the Flash and the Big Bang Theory and visions and dreams, that is not an Ezra Miller type. So I, I do recognize why huge fans of the Flash who grew up with him and love him. I, you know, I know this isn't your guy's flash. So I want to say recognizing that. And again, it's sort of like, you know, I knew going in that if I do enjoy it, I might be in the minority of enjoying it. As far as recommendations, I, I don't really have any, I didn't do my homework. I always forget to come in here with recommendations. It's like the second or third time. So I apologize. I'll have recommendations. You have one job, Greg, one job. Yeah, You're banned forever, Mr. Vorob. I know. I'll, I'll make sure to come in with the recommendations uh, next time I'm on, which is a few weeks. <laughs> so. good bring stuff. them back. Damn it. <laughs> yes, I, I know Keith. I exactly. Know. And uh, yeah. and the trash actually, talking begins. Exactly. <laughs> and speaking actually of you, Keith, did you have anything you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Well, I had to go and scurry because Charles took all the good ones. But I, I would actually recommend Sorry. the Dare You. The New 52 Flash reboot was actually fairly decent and they had one of the longest payoff cons ever known to man with reverse flash just recently paid off in one of the more recent issues with um what was it the the god flash or whatever the heck the guy his godspeed. name was godspeed there was such a long setup for that godspeed payoff which was vicious and amazing uh definitely check that one out because what you think is going to happen doesn't happen and what does happen will just like blow your mind so the new 52 run while it was not perfect, definitely had its highlights. Fantastic uh, re recommendation right there as well. I will go with the, uh, I guess, the obvious choice, uh, which is, of course, uh, the Flashpoint uh, story arc, which I thoroughly enjoy. And I will often go back and read from time to time. It's actually one of the few comics where I even bought the tie-ins. Because there are some, some stories where I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just buy the core books because... It's kind of getting a hassle to buy all the tie-ins. But for that one, I'm happy to say I did buy them and I, I definitely was, it definitely pays off to get them. So uh, of course, these days with things like Comixology folks, you can get it as one big story with the tie-ins in it. So the trade paperback with the, should we say, online, the uh, digital online, the um, trade paperback, you can grab that. So I would definitely recommend the-, the Or you can get the story. Omnibus. Hardcover. Or the Omnibus. Well said, uh, Charles. That's right. There is also the Omnibus available. I think Always both a good one both in print and uh, and digital. So uh, so the, the options are open to you, listeners. And speaking of you, listeners, when it comes to Happiness and Darkness fan mail, we actually have an email today from Aaron, who writes in about today's movie, and he humorously titled his email, Eric Stoltz in Back to the Future is an Icon. Nice one there, Aaron. So Aaron writes in, good afternoon, DJ Nick and Keith, and I will add Greg and Charles. The Flashpoint storyline is one of my favorite comics, but I was very cautious going into The Flash mainly because it had such a tumultuous production from start to finish. So imagine my surprise when all walking out of the theater, I was quite happy with the end result. So it seems like he's with you, Greg. 
I'm not a huge Superman fan, less so Supergirl, but Sasha Kaye was great, and I would watch a solo movie of hers, not that it will ever happen. Cross fingers it will, Aaron. The change of the story from the original Flashpoint to include her was a great change. Rather than having a weak, simple-minded Superman learning that there's a world outside of a containment cell, we get a grown woman resentful of the world that has imprisoned her. Her choosing to help our heroes felt more impactful than the comic Superman. Okay. Finally, I absolutely loved George Clooney showing back up. Never would I have thought to see him back in the role of Bruce Wayne, but there he was. There were mainly groans throughout my theater, but the only thing bigger than my laugh was my smile. Take care. Aaron. So thank you for that, that lovely email there, Aaron. And of course, dear listeners, if you want to be like the awesome Aaron and share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness in Darkness, or follow us on the Twitter machine, where we're at High Darkness Pod. And Greg, when you're not here discussing superhero movies with myself, Keith, and Charles, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Well, first, I'd like to follow up with Aaron. Um, Our theater, applause, laughter, delighted to see Clooney. So I will say that. Um, Yes, where can you find me? I will spell my last name. V as in Victor. O-R-O-B as in boy. Find me on social media on Facebook under... Greg Vorob with that spelling. I will add you if you are a listener to this program. On Twitter, Greg underscore Vorob. In terms of, uh, find me on YouTube, at Greg Vorob. Look at my stuff. That's what I do. But in terms of podcasts, um, let me give a shout out to MSV Podcast Presents the Fake and the Whimsy. It's a nothing, nonlinear, nonsense podcast. Check it out. Uh, I don't always talk about it, and that's on purpose. Um, but in terms of podcasts, that is a joy. And and what responses we've been getting for the last six months on Star Trek, the Undiscovered podcast. If you are a Star Trek fan, please check it out. It has been uh, very uh, – thank you all for the positive feedback. Your very own DJ Nick here is our technician on that show. Wouldn't have it any other way on that podcast. Uh, we recently had um, uh, Vic Mignana of Star Trek Continues on. Uh, it was a great discussion. And uh, coming up, on uh, we release uh, Fridays. Uh, we drop Fridays at 10 a.m. And our next episode is a Wrath of Khan review with two people who were just like me Going into the flash like this, we have two people, um, uh, Kyle Bain and John Seymour, Keith's compadre there on podcast partner and another podcast partner, Prime Keith, going in blind, watching a Star Trek movie, and might I add, like, the biggest one there probably ever was. So check out Star Trek, the Undiscovered Podcast. If you are a Star Trek fan, I hope you will find much to love, just like all the fans that have been reporting to us over the past six months. And thank you. Thank you for having me back. Oh, we certainly enjoyed having you back, Greg. And Keith, where can folks find you? Well, finally, I have more than one thing to promote. I feel all excited like a little kid. Um, So when I'm not here entertaining you guys with my insanity, I do another podcast with, like Greg was mentioning, a friend of ours, John Seymour and Jason Gurin. We talk about comic books themselves, story points, first appearances, kind of topics in general that are related to comic books. This is movies, that's comic books. 
you should have checked out our most recent podcast where we basically stumbled through the most recent review, which was uh, Forever Evil. It was an amazing laugh. We all died. We had such a blast. Sometimes we sound like we know what we're talking about. Most of the time we don't. But definitely check us out. We're on Spotify, I think on YouTube and Apple. So always fun. Fantastic. And uh, what about you, Charles? Well, Nick, you can find me. Um, for those who don't know, I've uh, every so often I get the fortunate opportunity to write something. Uh, I've written for DC Comics recently. Last year, I did the uh, I contributed to their um, DC's Terrorist Through Time number one Halloween anthology. Had a nice little Justice Society of America story in that. I've also written for Star Trek for Pocket Books in the past, where I've written uh, for the Star Trek Strange New Worlds Volume Two. Back in the day, I did a story called Doctor's Orders, and then also uh, so I do a little writing. But I also primarily these days and do a lot of podcasting. So um, you can find me at Charles Skaggs on Twitter, at Charles Skaggs on Instagram or Hive Social or Facebook, Charles Skaggs in Hilliard, Ohio. My blog of geeky things, damn good coffee and hot, where I talk about all of my podcasts that I do for wonderful and strange productions, including, well, the Phantom Zone podcast that I do with a certain DJ Nick. Right now we're talking Superman Lois and we're about to talk Secret Invasion. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we're, so, you know, we're going to be spreading the, the Marvel love in with the DC love a little bit. And then um, also I do Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with Jesse Jackson, my partner in time, where we talk all things Doctor Who, Torchwood, Sarah Jane Adventures, Big Finish Audios and more. And then Ghostwood, the Twin Peaks podcast I do with Zan Sprouse. Right now we're kind of on hiatus, but uh, we talk all things Twin Peaks and David Lynch. Hope you check us out there. And then last but certainly not least, Drunk Cinema, which is my side gig with Zan Sprouse, where we have a lot of fun. We watch our favorite movies, have our favorite beverages. And, um, you know, we just watch, you know, all kinds of things. We, um, in honor of, you know, we just did uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome in honor of the late, great Tina Turner. And then coming up in our next episode, we're going to be, because, hey, there's a new Indiana Jones movie coming out. We're going to be doing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So I hope everybody tunes in. And thanks to everybody who, who listen. And um, thanks for supporting this great podcast, you guys. Oh, well, uh, well, thank you. We're very happy to have you back, Charles. And thank you for those very kind words indeed. When it comes to me, folks, for you country music lovers, you can find me at my day job, where I host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. When for about that, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, uh, speaking of Zan Sprouse, uh, myself, Zan, and Rachel can be found on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where we're reviewing all the best picture winners in chronological order. This week, a certain Charles Skaggs will have to deal with myself again. Probably happy to be with Zan and Rachel as we will be reviewing The Departed, and uh, Charles will be part of that conversation as well. So You mean The Departed? It. The Departed, that's right. Yes, I have to get hey. my, my New England accent working there. <laughs> and of course, as Charles mentioned, uh, him and I are currently on the Fandom Zone. and definitely looking forward to seeing what uh, the secret invasion is all about. So uh, that'll definitely be fun, of course, loving Superman and Lois. And speaking of things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 2013 Jay Oliva film, no surprise, Justice League, The Flashpoint Paradox. 
So first off, uh, Charles and uh, Greg, thank you both so much for joining us. It was a, I'm sure I can speak for Keith as well, saying it was a pleasure to having you both on and uh, definitely look forward to having you both return sooner rather than later. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Nick. I always have a ball being here and uh, thanks for, uh, you know, letting me rant a little bit. I feel, I feel cleansed. I feel like, you know, I got a, a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of closure and uh, hopefully uh, some relief. So maybe now I can sleep at night. Well, you know, just wait till you get not... our bill. Exactly. Just wait till okay. you get the bill. <laughs> but yeah, Charles. Well, I hope I hope my insurance covers yeah. this. <laughs> and belated happy birthday, Charles. Oh, thank you, Greg. True. Happy it. birthday, sir. Mm-hmm. Cheers, awesome. guys. So I, I guess that's that. And Keith, uh, any anything you would like to add or quick thoughts on our next movie before we sign off? Shocked to anybody who's never listened to this podcast before, but I'm actually looking forward to this version of the Flashpoint Paradox. I enjoyed the story. I collected the original. I have most of the tie-ins, so it'll be fun to review this one. I'm definitely looking forward to it myself. So, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with the Flash Justice League, the Flashpoint Paradox. Until then, stay super. Ciao, Marvel.